this season is all about light and darkness. And I've learned in my life that there are actually different kinds of darkness. There's, there's good darkness and then there's bad darkness. Start with good darkness. There's that moment when you're sitting in a movie theater and you've been waiting to see this movie for weeks or months or years and the, the lights come down and the projector turns on and there's a buzz in the theater, maybe even some hoots and hollers because people are excited. It's finally here. There's that good darkness where you get out in the middle of nowhere, away from all civilization. You lay down on a blanket or in the back of a pickup and you look up at the stars and you feel so small, but it's okay. And there's a sense of peace and gratitude that washes over you. There's that good darkness when you're in somebody's house or apartment and everybody's saying, shh, shh, shh. It's a surprise party. And you're waiting for that person to show up, hoping that nobody spilled the beans, that they're actually surprised. All of those are what I call good darkness. Then there's bad darkness. You decided that you were going to get an Airbnb in the middle of nowhere. And now you're wishing you maybe made sure there was cell phone service where you were because something went bump in the night and you have nowhere to call. And all those horror movies you've watched over the years come rolling back through your mind. There's that bad darkness at 2 o'clock in the morning when you cannot sleep and have insomnia. Your brain and your body cannot get on the same page. Your body is desperate for sleep, and your brain is desperate to remind you of all your greatest fears, all your greatest mistakes, and everything you have to do tomorrow. And then there's that darkness that's not external, it's internal. We use words for it like seasonal affective disorder or anxiety, or depression. And it's a darkness that goes with you no matter where you go. But what's the difference between good darkness and bad darkness? I think it comes down to three things. One, the waiting is endurable. When it's good darkness, you go, okay, I'm waiting for light to come, but I can keep waiting. Two, you aren't alone. There's a difference between being in darkness by yourself and being in darkness with others. And then finally, what separates good and bad darkness is when the light breaks through. Now, everywhere we go over the next month, we're going to experience lights. They're going to be up on people's houses. We lit up the courthouse downtown last night. If you lived in Prescott Valley, lit the tree up out there last night too. There are lights everywhere. Three weeks from this weekend, people in churches all over the world are going to light candles and sing Silent Night, and we're going to celebrate the passing of the light. And then we're going to sit at tables and face the darkness of those who were there last year and aren't there this year, those who we wish were there but said no, and we're going to have to deal with the darkness too. So in the midst of all of that, our hope is to remind each other this Christmas season of this simple truth, God with us. If you could summarize the message of Christmas and why it's good news, those three words would be enough, God with us. I don't know if you're excited for the Christmas season. I don't know if you're dreading it. I don't know if you're counting down the days until it's here or you're counting down the days until it's over. Maybe you're weary and you're resonating with that song about a weary world rejoicing, or maybe you're just caught up in the rejoicing. 
But wherever you are, our invitation to you this year is that you would be there where you are. Because, because of our big idea. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The big idea is this, that God can only meet us where we are, not where we wish we were. Now, I'm not sure if that's good news or bad news for you. But the truth is, God can only meet us where we are this Christmas. He can't meet us in the places that we wish we were. And the truth is, many of us wish we were somewhere else. We wish we were somewhere else where things were different. I'll, I'll go first and, and be honest first in the room. I'm, I'm not where I wish I was. I wish I was standing up, full of energy, jumping around the stage. But for the second year in a row, I had to thank God during Thanksgiving for that COVID positive test. And I don't nearly have the energy that I typically do. So I'm sitting down today. I wish things were different. I wish things were different in some of my relationships, that I, I thought we wouldn't be facing these challenges where we are. When I started 2022, I had some plans and some goals and some resolutions, and some of those worked out great. And some of those are just the furthest thing from reality. Maybe you can relate. Maybe there are some places, not maybe where you physically are here in Prescott, but some things about your life that you wish were different. And, and the truth is, if if God can only meet us where we are, not where we wish we were, then we're going to have to own and accept and get honest about where we actually are. And so today I want to just offer an invitation to you. What if you were honest with God and yourself this Advent season? As you began to prepare and anticipate the arrival of Jesus' birth, that's what Advent means. It means arrival. It means entrance this season of preparation that we're undertaking? What if you were honest with God and honest with yourself? Because if God only meets us where we are, then we're going to have a hard time meeting him there if we're not honest about where we actually are. And so that's where we're going to begin this journey today. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to share with you today three truths about where God meets us. And here's the first one. The first truth where God meets us. He meets us in our default position, which is shame and hiding. Humanity broadly and humans individually, our default position is shame and hiding. We're going to end up in the Christmas story, but we're going to start our journey today in the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, or maybe you're like, I don't know very much about the Bible, I was using the index. This is your favorite book, the book of Genesis. It's the hardest one to miss. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read this account of, of creation and the first humans. And what we see in this text is the first instance of God with us, us being humanity. If you don't have a Bible, you can watch the screen. Our friend Kelly will keep you up as I read. Beginning in verse 6, this is, this is what it says. The woman, that's Eve, saw that the tree was good for a— was was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And the man said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. If we were to look at this passage, Genesis 3, through the lens of God's with us, we would ask this question, what did God with us make them feel? When they sensed that God was with them, that he was walking, that they could hear him, what did they feel? They didn't feel excitement. They didn't throw party. They didn't raise their worship hands, you know, or worship hands or worship hands or however you do worship hands. They ran. They hid. They were afraid. They said things kind of like we often say things when we're not wanting God to be with us. They said things like, we hope no one knows. And we pray no one finds out. So let's hide and let's pretend. See, the reason that, that our, our default position is shame and hiding is we have things that if we're honest, we hope that no one finds out. We have moments that we wish we could undo. Emails and texts that we wish we could unsend. Words that we wish we could pull back and put back into our mouth. I wonder for you, where is the place where you think, if they only knew dot, dot, dot? Where's the place where you're carrying around with you in an invisible way fear or shame? Wondering what might happen if the truth came what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that humanity hid from each other, and then we hid from God. Adam and Eve realized they were naked. They made the first set of clothing and began to hide from each other. And then when God with us showed up in the garden, they hid from God. Now in the church, I think we have a bad habit of looking down on people in the Bible and thinking we're better than them. I think it's a very bad habit because we've been doing the same thing ever since. That person who shares your last name, there are things that you hope they don't ask you. The person who you exchange one of these with, there's conversations that you feel scared to have. There's people that you call friend but there's things you're holding on to in your life that you're ashamed for them to know. And friends, we've been hiding from each other and hiding from God ever since the garden. And so our default position is hiding and shame. And we need to face that, especially at Christmas time. Because that's where God meets us, in the midst of our hiding and our shame. Like Adam and Eve, he comes for us. The second truth we see about where God meets us is that our familiar territory is darkness. Our familiar territory is darkness. The place we know all too well is the dark. We move from the beginning of the Bible to the middle, and we head to the book of Isaiah. If you take a giant Neil Armstrong-sized leap in your Bible, from Genesis, you'll pass over Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and you'll end up in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is full of all sorts of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that were written hundreds of years before he was born. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, we see some really interesting things. Beginning in verse 2, this is what we read. 
Isaiah writes, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Not vacationing, not summering, not up to Prescott for the weekend, but people living in the land of darkness. And then in verse 6, this is what Isaiah says. It's a very well-known verse around Christmas time. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. What Isaiah is saying to us that is still true over 2,500 years later is darkness is our home. For so many of us, the place that we know the best is the darkness. The the place that we spend the most time is the darkness. And one of the things I've learned about the dark is it is actually in the darkness that our shame and our fear is fueled. It actually grows greater. One of the ways that I know if somebody is good at grilling is the extent to which they use a lighter fluid. Lighter fluid is like training wheels for somebody who's starting to grow. And I, I used to be that guy who had no idea what he was doing, had no business around a grill. And so there was one time I was getting impatient. I had decided to use charcoal because, of course, it tastes better. But it wasn't, it wasn't warming up fast enough. And so being the impatient person that I am, I got out that extra large thing of lighter fluid, and I sprayed it on the coals— And then it was like Tom uh, Hanks and Castaway, I've created fire, you know, um, live to tell the story. But that image, if you've ever seen somebody pour lighter fluid on a a fire and the fire kicks up, that's what darkness does to our shame and our fear. It exponentially increases the amount of shame and fear we feel. And that's why it's so dangerous that our familiar territory is darkness because the shame and the fear we carry— only grows greater in the darkness. Like a fire that's, that's raging, if you can take out the oxygen, you'll kill the fire in the same way if you can take shame and fear and move them from darkness to light, you'll suck the power out of the shame and the fear. And what I've discovered is that the only thing that darkness fuels that's life-giving is, is rest. Last night, when you went to sleep, unless you're a crazy psycho, you turned off the lights in the room. I know people who, who sleep with all the lights on. It's just weird to me. Um, but, but the darkness actually gives us the space to rest as we get rid of all of the distractions and all the things that could have our attention. When we get into that darkness, we can actually sleep. We can actually rest. But here's the problem. Rest can only happen when shame and fear have been dealt with first. You know this. You're ready to go to sleep. You're ready to lay down. You are in desperate need of rest. And yet when you close your eyes and your head hits that pillow, all of a sudden you're reminded of all the things you're afraid of. All the places you've blown it. All the things that that you think other people might be thinking about you and would think if they knew the truth of what you know. And it's only when we've dealt with those things that darkness can become a life-giving place. I want to illustrate darkness for you right now and ask our lighting designer today, Abby, to turn down the lights in the room. 
For those of you who are watching online or listen to our podcast later, you're just going to miss this moment. I'm sorry. It's just not the same online or in your headphones. But when you sit in a room that's dark, something interesting happens. Your eyes begin to adjust. Your pupils begin to dilate. And if you go into a dark room, and this room isn't totally dark, but the longer you stay in a dark room, the more your eyes adjust to the darkness and the more you're able to see. But when you've been in the dark for a long time, sometimes when the light comes back, and Abby, let's get some light here. Sometimes when the light comes back, it's just a little bit painful. My kids hate waking up in the morning for school, and when the alarm goes off at 5.45, and we come in and we go, three, two, one, and pop the lights, they're like the Wicked Witch of the West. Ah, the light, the light. It's painful at first. And here's what I will tell you. If you are living or experiencing or struggling with the darkness, the good news is that God wants to come and meet you where you are with his light. Here's the bad news. It may be painful at first. Like when you walk out of a dark room into a bright light and you say, ah, ah, the light. What you desperately need may not feel good in the beginning because it's transforming and changing. And that's the third piece of this truth about where God meets us. The third piece is that Jesus pursues us in order to transform us. As we get into the Christmas story, we turn to the book of John. John chapter 1. John was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his most faithful disciples. And in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John's word for Jesus is the word word. So essentially he's saying in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. He goes on. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So as God was coming to be with us, he was bringing his light into our world. And here's what that means for us in verse 12. He says, But to all who did receive Jesus and his light, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And then in verse 14, The word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and dwelt among us, God with us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what we see at Christmas is not just, hey, there's this cute baby in a manger. What we see at Christmas is we see the lengths that God is willing to go to in order to pursue us. Just by a show of hands, is anybody in the room done with their Christmas shopping already? Everybody's purchased for us. Wow. I admire all of you people. You guys are organized. Um, I am not there yet. But some of you, you're going to great lengths this year to get a gift for somebody you love and care about. You're shopping online, trying to find the best deal, make sure it ships here on time. You're, you're going to lengths. But the, the good news of Christmas, the, the reason why God with us means so much, is that God went to great lengths in order to pursue us to be with us, and not just to be with us. Jesus comes into our darkness, 
And he not only comes into our darkness, but he wants to transform our darkness. That's why in verse 12 it says that he came, that we might become his children. We might be spiritually born into his family, that we would be transformed. His presence then means that we have hope to overcome our shame and our fears and the darkness that we live in. And so if today you are where you wish you weren't, if you're facing things that you wish you weren't facing, if, if the truth, if you were honest with yourself and God, is hard to swallow, two things. God can meet you where you are, and he can transform where you are because he has come to be with you. At its core, that is the simple message of Christmas. And what we, we want to do over these three weeks during this series, God With Us, is to give you some with skin on pictures of what it looks like for God to be with us. And so right now, I'm going to invite out onto the stage two people that you just saw earlier leading us in our time of musical worship, Josh and Liz Mall. Would you give them a round of applause as they come to join me? So, a uh, little kind of fun fact, um, Liz and I go way, 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 back, way, way back, way, way back, till we were uh, single digits. We grew up in the same church, yep. and then in 2018, mm -hmm. uh, you guys uh, switched and you moved over here to Cornerstone, mm -hmm. began attending here. You guys are both stupid gifted musically. <laughs> like, I feel so, um, yes, please give them a round of applause. I, I, I struggle to keep my uh, voice on pitch, and you guys uh, are on multiple instruments. You guys are just amazing. And not long after you got involved here, you started serving on the worship team. Mm -hmm. And in the spring of 2019, I can remember vividly, uh, we learned something really surprising, that you guys were not nearly doing as good as you looked on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. that you guys were in a rough place. And so uh, Pastor Clovis, who used to be on our staff, and I, invited you guys in for a meeting, and we sat down, and we started talking, and Josh, tell us about kind of where you guys were in May of 2019. So we had gotten to the point where we had decided that we were going to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. um, this was not a, we're struggling, we need some help, we need to work on this, this was, this is the end, we're done, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna cut our losses and move on. And uh, it, was a, it was a hard and shocking thing to hear because we had fallen in love with you guys. Mm -hmm. We were excited to see you guys serving. And from the outside, we couldn't tell that that was going on. Mm -hmm. um, and what was so surprising for me when we first started that conversation was often when you hear a couple using that word and at that place, like they're on opposite sides of the room. It takes work <laughs> to get them to come in together. And you guys were sitting on the same couch next to each other, mm -hmm. um, and I think Liz used the word that th there wasn't any animosity, that you guys were friends. No, we, even at church here on Sunday morning, we were still sitting together. Yeah. We were like, I don't know, we, we were so unemotional about it. And yeah. No animosity whatsoever. But you were very cold that, that you were done, yeah. that there was no hope, and mm -hmm. that you guys were going to... It was just very, very hopeless, and when you get to that sort of hopelessness, it's like the emotion is, uh, you're past that. You just feel like you're not even there anymore. You're just, you know, that's it. And so I can remember sitting in that room kind of trying to figure out what to say. 
mm-hmm. what to do because it was just so different from mm-hmm. conversations I'd had in the past about that. And I don't remember this. We were talking this week. Mm-hmm. But uh, you told me that I asked you, um, where do you see God in this? Mm-hmm. And you had a very surprising response. That's when I got emotional, <laughs> just thinking about God in the situation. And I remember looking at Clovis, and he looked at me, and he was just like, are you angry? Like, <laughs> are you angry at him for putting you in, you know, you feel like he's put you in this position? And I was like, it's actually quite the opposite. I felt very angry with myself, and I felt like I let him down. I feel like he, I felt like he gave us this gift, and I'm just throwing it away. I just felt disappointed in myself, and I didn't want to face God. I was so ashamed of myself. And so we were in that conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, I can remember, you know, feeling like we, on our side of the room, we didn't plan it this way. It had mm-hmm. some sides of the room, but on Clovis, my side of the room, we felt like we had more hope than you guys did. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because if we had hope and you didn't, we knew that there was no, no, no hope. Yep. Um, and so we started talking about what would you guys be willing to do? Uh, would you be willing to meet with somebody? Would you be willing uh, to pay for that or pay a portion of that? Or, you know, are you guys just done? Are you willing to allow us to come alongside you? And, and so that started a conversation, Josh. Yeah, so I think in, in that moment, we probably would have said, no, we're not, we're not really open to going any further. We, we felt that we put in the work over the years. Um, and one, one event that really kind of sort of shifted things around just, just ever so slightly was we, we actually went to the courthouse to file the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was going to be this was going to be it. And uh, by the grace of God, I'm an idiot. And I printed off the wrong paperwork that we filled out. <laughs> so we gave it to the lady, and she looks at it. She's like, nope, not today. She and, was not uh, happy She was today. not. I she was, was so embarrassed. She was, she was having a rough day, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> so we, we left there feeling a little foolish, a little defeated in the moment, thinking like, man, we can't even do this right. And uh, <laughs> But part of that, that sort of delay of the actual filing um, – uh, allowed us a little more time. We had some some good friends that kind of spoke into our lives uh, a little bit and um, gave us just just that small enough of a window to think. Well, maybe maybe we can give this one more shot. Maybe we can do take one more step and see see what happens. And so you guys sat down with Elizabeth, uh, mm-hmm. who's one a, a Christian counselor locally that we refer to, mm-hmm. and um, you went into that first meeting. What was that first session like? It was probably a little different than a lot of her uh, first sessions when it comes to things like this. Because we went in basically thinking we're, we're done. This is it. We're not – we weren't really looking for somebody to fix it. And uh, so we kind of went in with the mentality of we're going to do this almost like just out of like duty. Or, you know, like, well, I, we, we owe it to ourselves to try this one more time and, and, you know, we'll see what happens. But I don't think either of us really expected much. Um, and you told her that too. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how we started. No that's kind of how we started the counseling Good session. Yeah. Uh, but after that first session, it was it was obvious that there was something still there. There was something that like it wasn't dead, and I think that we could we could at least see that. I don't know that we necessarily felt any different in that that very moment right there, but we could see that what we had was not dead and gone. 
and that there was hope that there there could be some some sort of restoration. There could be mm -hmm. something on the other uh, the other end of it. Yeah. And Liz, you said that you guys started being honest to a degree that you hadn't been before. You guys started having some conversations that had just been off the table that you weren't talking about. Mm -hmm. um, what 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 kind of began transpiring? Well, we didn't even understand it ourselves at first. We just thought that this is just it and we just are better off not being. We had no idea the type of things that we were holding within ourselves that she, especially after that first session, um, she, I really felt validated in my feelings to the point where she was validating me when I wasn't validating myself at all over, you know, I just felt there were times when I felt that I was being too dramatic and I shouldn't speak about those things and I'm being too emotional and she's like, no, you really need to talk about this because I, I really do think that this is something to do with this. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it, it was a lot of things that we were discovering about ourselves that were affecting each other. Now you guys, um, one of the things that uh, if people, people can know you, you guys are both really committed to personal fitness you guys have a joint Instagram account, <laughs> uh, Mall Fit. If you're on Instagram, fun follow. Um, but one of the, one of the things that's a part of that journey is that um, when you're in the fitness world, they have this like before and after photo piece. Mm -hmm. And Josh, we were talking this week. You kind of used that as an analogy to talk about what it, it began to be like as you were going through this process and beginning to do this work. Yeah, it's if if you've ever done something like uh like starting a fitness journey or anything that it's a really gradual sort of process um it can be hard going from like day to day because you look in the mirror and you you look the same you know mm -hmm. as you did yesterday or so you think um you don't see those those big changes there's not like a big moment where like you don't go into the gym for the first time you know skinny and walk out as you know the hulk it doesn't it doesn't work <laughs> that way um but being able to uh, to put in the work that we did and then look back and see sort of that before photo mm -hmm. um, was uh, at that time very encouraging for me because, um, like I said in the first service, I'm I, I'm a very results oriented kind of person where if I'm working on something, I'd like to see that it's accomplishing something. Mm. And things that are very very slow and very gradual, it can be hard to for for me to keep up that motivation mm. because I don't see the results uh, as obviously. So. Uh, you know, going through that season where we uh, we put in a lot of the work um, in a way kind of blindly, you know, hoping that there was a change, hoping that things were getting better, um, where even day to day we may not have seen those, but um, getting through that and being able to look back and say, this is, this is where we've come, mm. um, was incredibly encouraging to me, and uh, it encouraged me to want to keep pushing, because I could see that what we were doing wasn't worthless. Mm. And you were talking to me this week, and we were talking about the fact that you began to sense that God was kind of opening you up, that you had been somebody who always insisted on being in control mm -hmm. and having a lot of control. And as you were working through this, God was opening you up to trust more and to be more open both with him and with Josh. Oh, that was really scary. <laughs> that was really scary, especially um, we talked about that story about going to the courthouse and making a fool of ourselves. And I just knew that that was God, I walked out of the courtroom or out of the courthouse and I just knew that God is really funny <laughs> and he decided I'm going to make a fool out of them. No, um, <laughs> I was really angry because I was like, why are you taking control right now? Like, why are you doing this? I'm not, I'm not worth that. I'm, we're not, you know, we're done. God, why can't you see that? We're done. Why are you allowing this to happen? 
And so um, going through this counseling, you change as a person. You completely change. And you've got to embrace evolving. You know, you got, you got to know that people change throughout their lives. And it was almost like a reintroduction to ourselves. We introduced ourselves to each other again for the first time. Mm. Because by the time we were done through all this, not only had I found who I now was, I was a completely different person. And I was more, um, vul- I mean, more vulnerable, like here I am. But, <laughs> you know, I was um, more uniquely myself, and I was more genuinely myself, and God had now at that point completely taken the reins, and I was like, okay, God, I'm, <sighs> I'm going to trust you, mm. and this is going to happen. What have I got to lose? And mm. it was very, very hard, but it was completely worth it in the end. And, yeah, we were completely different people by the end. So when you think back three and a half years ago mm-hmm. till now, and you think about this idea of God with us now, what comes to mind for you? It, it's it's so interesting because back then, our our like natural reaction was to hide or to ignore or to you know put put your fingers in your ears and just pretend that you know you know God's there you know God's a part of all this but you don't want to admit it to yourself um, because if you do then you have to admit your failure you have to admit the shame. Hmm. So uh, for me especially, I, I kind of just went into a little bubble where I, I didn't want to acknowledge God because if I did, then I would have to acknowledge everything around me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And getting to a point now where, um, you know, not only, not only is it completely shifted where we're not hiding, but we want to invite God in. Mm. We, want, we want him to be more a part of this because we've seen the, the healing that he's been able to bring in the last couple of years. And yeah. we've seen that, like that before and that after photo. And we're like, if this is what God is doing, we want more of that. And we need more of that in our marriage. So it's, it's been a, a, like a complete 180 of, of, you know, treating him like the weird uncle you don't invite to Thanksgiving mm. to, you know, um, to somebody that you want, you just want to always be there. You know, move them in, mm. you know, that kind of thing. So. Well, I, I, I wanted it to invite you guys to share your story. I didn't know if you were going to say yes. Um, and, and part of it was, I, I, I think back to three and a half years ago and that's before and after. And if we were sitting in that office and I remember when you walked out, I turned to Clovis and I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, I don't think either one of us would have expected to go. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you guys are still doing the work. Yeah. You guys are both still in counseling. You're still working through things. This is not a Disney movie happily ever after the end roll the credits. Mm-hmm. You guys are still in process. Mm-hmm. And so God is with you even as you continue to do the work. So I just wanted to say thank you for your vulnerability. Thanks for doing the work. And um, I'm grateful to be part of the family. So thank you guys. Can we give them a round of applause? So Josh and Liz shared a little bit of the steps they've taken. We want to give you some steps that you can take as we put this message into practice today. These on the back of your handout if you're taking notes. The first one is this. I want to invite you to put Isaiah 9-2 somewhere that you'll see it over the rest of this year. Maybe you write it on an index card, you put it on a post-it note, you make it your uh, lock screen on your phone or the the desktop wallpaper on your computer. What's Isaiah 9-2? It's this verse. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. What this verse means is is that God is not going to instantly take away all of the challenges in your life. He's not going to instantly 
fix your marriage where in one day it's totally different, like Josh talked about. What it means is that his light is going to come and shine in your darkness, and you are not going to be alone. And I hope that you hold on to that in this season. The second thing I invite you to do is to fill in the blank in this sentence on your handout if you're taking notes. In my life today, the darkness looks like blank. And so right now, I want to invite you to fill in that blank. So go. Our staff and my small group will tell you that I love the awkward silence. Good things happen in that moment. And the reason why I want you to fill that blank in is I don't want this to be a concept, to be ethereal. I want it to be real, and only you can name what that is. And then third, I want to invite you to take one step, big or small, towards the light. Maybe your step is as big as coming in and having a conversation that's hard or going to counseling when you tried before and you want to give up on it. Maybe it's something as small as just naming the darkness. Reaching out to a friend or saying, hey, I'm going to ask God to meet me here. Whatever that step is before this day ends, I want to encourage you to take the step that you feel God is pressing in on your heart 